All right, the starting quote that we've been kind of talking through with the series that we're in called The Undivided uh, Self is, what would Jesus do if he were me? That's what being like a disciple is like, is asking that question. What would Jesus do if he were me? Um, what would Jesus do if he were me as a friend, as a neighbor, as a worker, as a person in society? Uh, being a follower of Jesus should give us the opportunity, really, to live a life that's more consistent across all the spheres of life that we get to live in, that we can show up uh, the same way, with the same heart, with the same personality, to live like Jesus in all the spaces that we find ourselves in, um, because, which is good news, because we're so tempted in this life to feel like we have to adapt ourselves to be different people in the different environments. And so the last few weeks and the next couple, we've been focusing on how really we should just be able to be you to be who God has created you to be. Uh, key verse that we've been looking at is Colossians 3, verse 12, um, where Apostle Paul uh, tells this church, and I think speaks to us through it, that as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that we should clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and respect. So as we go about all of our spheres of life, what is the thing that's consistent? Perhaps it could be that that uh, we would clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, even towards 49ers fans on a day like today. Uh, So for a few moments, though, we're going to shift gears to focus on uh, living an undivided life at work or if you don't have a job right now, maybe at school. So it's that space that we're going to be hanging in. So let me tell you about a city called Thyatira. Thyatira. Kind of tricky to say. Um, it is over in uh, Turkey area, um, the west side of Asia. Um, Thyatira is the smallest of the seven cities in the book of Revelations that's mentioned. Um, we, at the time of what we're going to look at, was probably about 25,000 people uh, was the population. It was a major inland city known as a pass-through um, which made it difficult to defend. Uh, They couldn't fortify the city very well, but really ideal for business. Um, If you have a lot of people coming through your city, then you can set up a lot of things that would lead to business there. So uh, there have been more trade guilds found, and I'll say what a trade guild is in a second, but found in Thyatira than any other contemporary city in the Roman province of Asia. Each of these guilds, so it's almost like a, like a union or um, maybe sort of like a chamber of commerce, but more like a union would be today where these people in like industries would get together. Um, each of these guilds back then, though, had their own deity, their own like uh, god that they would believe all their business proceedings uh, would begin with feasts by honoring and paying homage, homage to this god or goddess. And Thyatira was uh, known to have um, guilds full of wool workers, leather workers, linen workers, baker workers, <laughs> shoemakers, coppersmiths, um, with the city becoming world-renowned, actually, even though it was small, uh, for their bronze smelters. And I love the word smelting. It's one of my favorite things to say. Um, and their purple, dr- purple dye that they extracted from these roots, these, these things called matter roots, and they look like this. If 
fun to look at that picture of the roots. Um, they became famous for these roots that would, produ- would produce a purple dye, which was very rare at the time. I'm not sure whose hand that is, but they could be a hand model, couldn't they? Um, purple in the ancient world. I, I, sometimes I just derail you and don't set you up well to listen. Sorry, it's just the way it's going to be. Uh, purple in the ancient world, though, was a sign of high rank. It was like a sign of royalty because of the high cost involved of obtaining the dye. And in this city was known for that process of getting the dye that it would take to stain clothes purple. Um, This unique kind of niche created a massive trade industry for that specific item in this little time, little town as people would travel from all over the world to acquire it. They came there to get the purple stuff. Thyatira, they minted bronze coins um, because that was part of the thing that made their, their city unique is their bronze and their ability to stamp uh, to commemorate the two strongest commodities that they had, um, which was bronze and matarut uh, that we talked about a second. This is what the coin looked like. So they made their own coins and uh, it's old, so you can't really tell. Only really, really educated people can go, I've studied it, and that's a root. Um, but the, you, in the middle, you can kind of see there's like a tree, and then the bottom right represents like um, the root of the tree that identified what made their city special. And by stamping it on a bronze coin, it's like, here's who we are. We're the bronze people, and we're the purple dye people. That is our city. Um, maybe it's sort of like those, those machines at um, Michigan's Adventure or Chuck E. Cheese that you could mint a coin of Snoopy. Do you remember those? Um, where you, I actually never got to do one of those. Um, that's what happens when you grow up Poe. Um, but turning the crank, you would t- you'd put a quarter in, you turn the crank on one side, um, and even as a kid, it felt illegal to me because <laughs> I'm like, uh, someone in a black suit is going to catch me counterfeiting these Snoopy coins. And they're going to bring me to Michigan's Adventure Jail, which would totally be in the middle of Shivering Timbers, by the way, which I hate that ride. Um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if I was, I'm just saying, look into the coin-making machines because that's probably where something sketchy is happening, which leads us naturally to Acts 17 in the Bible. Um, (laughs) So that's where we're going to go. We are introduced to a woman that has nothing to do with Michigan's Adventure or Snoopy Coins, uh, but her name is Lydia And she's from the city that I've been telling you about. But she's not actually in that city anymore. Let's read Acts chapter 16, verse 9 through 15. During the night, it says, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, <laughs> and the next day went to Neapolis. I got that one. Uh, from there, we traveled to Philippi. That's where they are in what's coming next. A Roman colony and leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Okay, verse 13. So they're in Philippi. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, named Lydia, 
and she was a dealer of purple cloth. She was also a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household, interesting way to put it, were baptized, she invited us to her home. She said, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So they meet this lady who's a business person uh, who comes to believe in Jesus, and then she says, Come on over to my house. There's some fascinating details about Lydia that we've already kind of set ourselves up to find if we do a little digging. She uh, seemed to be quite a successful business person. Uh, She moved from Thyatira, the city I just told you all about, to Philippi. That's a 220-mile journey. That's a a long ways away from home. Um, And she was well-to-do enough uh, to be able to invite this big group of church people over to her house for ham on bun, (laughs) which is what church people do. Um, But she invited them over uh, to her house, and she seemed to be, in this story, presented as the the breadwinner, which was rare in those days um, for under the patriarchal system for a woman to be the breadwinner. So go Lydia. Uh, She was a worshiper of God, and then the Lord opened her heart, like it said, to Paul's message, and she took the next step in her faith. Uh, If you dig a little deeper, uh, as I said a moment ago, this story raises a really important question. If we were the the first century readers of this story, we would ask, why is this woman in Philippi and not in the center of her industry uh, back in Taya, what is the name of it again? Somebody help me out. Thank you, Theatira. That's probably how you say it, isn't it? Nice. Uh, 240 miles away. So why is she all the way there? And still seeming to be doing business, right? Uh, What is a guild, you asked 10 minutes ago? It's an association of people for the... This is... uh, What is Webster's? Uh, For people for mutual aid or pursuit of a common goal. It's like a union today. It's people that have work in the same trade and want to get together to make uh, things work well. So the guilds back then in Theatira uh, centered around these big banquets that I've already kind of alluded to a little bit uh, and celebrations that they would have in pagan temples in the area. They began the meal, the the celebration well enough with uh, meals using food sacrificed to idols. We read that in other parts of scripture and historical stuff outside of that. And then throughout the meal, servants would bring uh, giant bowls of wine, uh, which would eventually lead to regular after-dinner orgies right at the table that they were eating dinner at. That escalated real quickly, huh? Um, But it was normal. And the participation in those events would provide someone like Lydia, anybody in that guild, um, financial security. And that is also how... You got your brand out there. You went to the networking event, you ate a meal, and you knew what's coming after dinner. And you probably positioned yourself strategically around the table for the things that would come after it in order to advance your career. Uh, That was the game that they played. That's how you get your brand out there in order to acquire accounts from the major players in the field. Which raises the question for a worshiper of God like Lydia, do you continue in 
this sort of practice as a member of that kind of guild after you've discovered God and the way of his character and how he wants his people to live. Because that was the way you could expand and grow your business. You, how, how you gain more clients and more social status, it's the dominant way of building your brand. It's is something you got to do. Many scholars offer this as the reason. This is where I'm going with all of this. As to why Lydia is in Philippi and not in her hometown of Thyatira. She has, like, defected her membership um, from the guild membership and its practices. Which was a humongous risk for her to take. It must have costed her a lot because how easy would it have been to say something like, come on, everybody's doing it. It's, I mean, it's just, it's simply about pleasure and it's just the way things are. You just got to roll with it. Like if you want to get ahead, this is something that you have to do. It's just the, it's the way it is. Just, if you have issue with it, just grow up. But apparently Lydia chose a better path, a a better way, which uh, I also found out that uh, in, these, in these guilds, there would be the names of people inscribed um, above where their guilds would meet. And if someone defected like Lydia did, they would scratch that name out. You'd be blacklisted. There's good reason to think that that's what happened with this woman, and that's who these Christians bumped into, was a businesswoman who said, I'm not going to do that anymore. But she was still in the same industry, which is interesting, right? She embodied her beliefs by not choosing to participate in the extracurricular activities of these guilds. And there were also those in the church of her hometown of Thyatira and Philippi who found their identity, their strength, and their purpose in the ways of Jesus versus the ways of what's just normal, Lydia, this dealer of purple cloth, and how she helped lead these people, offers us a powerful invitation, if you reflect on it, to how we go about trying to live our lives as Christians in this world. As we go about our work in school, and for some of you, your, your school or your work is school right now, or maybe some of you are doing both. She made a big adjustment in her life. I think it challenges us to consider how we go about our work to take our vocation seriously and what it might be rooted in. What is the work you're doing and the place you're employed at or the school you go to? What is it rooted in? Is the company... I work for, own, manage, rooted in something life-giving and life-expanding, or am I asked to compromise my trust in the way of Jesus by working there? These are tough questions that the the people in these stories had to deal with, and it's not much different than maybe how we might feel today. A big question you're probably thinking as you sit and listen to this is, Am I supposed to leave my job because of the culture, practices, and environment? Um, In some cases, I'm sure maybe the answer is yes. But I'm, I'm not standing up here before you with a formula about how to know exactly if that's the truth. I'd love to actually help you process 
that. Um, and I know others in this room would if you're like, I'm not sure if it feels all right for me to like be a part of this business because of this or that. Um, pray about it and talk to people about it, and I think you'll probably get your answer. But um, it's interesting that Lydia was still known for being a dealer of purple cloth, though. She left the guild. She's blacklisted, and she's still doing the same thing. She didn't really leave her job. She just left that part of it. That must mean that she chose to go about her business differently. I once heard a story about a person um, that Martin Luther, he was a reform, church reformer in like the 1400 1500s, um, a person that he helped find uh, Jesus. And this person was a shoemaker. And I don't know the guild system back in his day at all, but probably, you know, a shoemaker around the 1500s in Europe. And after that person began to follow Jesus, um, he or she, I don't know if it was a male or female, but he or she was uh, probably wrestling with the same sort of tensions that Lydia was, this lady we've been talking about. Um, So the man asked Martin Luther, what should I do with my life now that I am a Christian? He's asking his his or her spiritual guide, like, what do I do with my life now that I'm a Christian? And I think the answer to that question that, that Martin Luther gave, this deep theological thinker, is so simple and so profound. He said, go and sell your shoes at a fair price. Don't take advantage of people. Have integrity in your business dealings. That must mean that people were not selling shoes at a fair price. That sort of thing sounds like, hey, keep selling purple cloth, but don't participate in the sex rituals in order to do business. That's degrading to your body, and you should not be treated as a part of a a business deal. You can trust God to provide for your needs as you go about your business with integrity. You don't need to compromise your morals and beliefs in order to work somewhere. But you also may not need to leave that work entirely because Jesus planted us in the world to love all people right where they're at. But does that mean participating in the guilds and the practices? No. It's really interesting when you think Jesus spent... 30 years as a like regular person. He had three years of ministry and revealing that he is the savior of the world. But for 30 years, he worked his dad's trade. I love this quote um, by, it's from a church plant book that I uh, have read through. It says this, Picture Jesus rising most days, not in a hurry to save the world, but making his way one step at a time, to his home improvement clients around Nazareth. He was a trades worker who for 30 years at least just went about loving his neighbor and doing his work and probably doing it with the same sort of integrity that we are encouraged, definitely doing it with the same sort of integrity that we are encouraged to do in the rest of Scripture. What would Jesus look like at your desk? What would Jesus notice? Who would he talk to? And I think an important hint, who would Jesus talk to if he were at your school or at your 
work. It's probably not the, just the people that can get you the promotion or probably not just the people that you're comfortable with. I actually think the heart of Jesus would be to probably see whoever it is that everybody else is like overlooking and befriending that person. What would Jesus do if he were me? I think he'd probably settle in, be patient, wait on God's timing like he himself did for 30 years. Perhaps do this as you plant your life as Jesus living through you. Do this. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Being a follower of Jesus needs to change how we act in school or in business. But it doesn't have to turn you into a complete weirdo who doesn't like people. (laughs) Be yourself. Be patient. Be kind. But there probably is some sort of line that needs to be drawn somewhere. I don't know where specifically that is for you. Maybe it's not sex rituals around the dinner table, but it could be gossip. It could be the way that you talk about other people. It could be something that's a little shady that just doesn't feel right, that's not treating people fairly. Maybe people will talk bad about you if you choose to act like Lydia. Um, But that's a short-term thing. In the long run, not that even people's opinions of you matter that much, but you will likely be more respected for your character and integrity, even if it means that some business advances or relationships change in the short term. I think that this last question, as I come to a close here, that Jesus asks is super profound as it relates to all of life, but as it relates to our, our lives in our schools and our businesses. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He's asking a huge question. Are you choosing to be a different person because of this normal thing in your business or school? Is it worth what that might do to your integrity and character? You can stay kind. You can still care about, you need to still care about people. That's what this message is all about. You can work hard and go after goals. You can grind. And more importantly than any of that, though, you can have a higher standard of love to follow in the footsteps of Jesus as if he were living his life through you. Let me close with some questions that you can ask yourself this week. These are, I think, the best and hardest questions that I've asked us in this series so far. And it might be worth taking a picture if you're the type that likes to reflect on this sort of thing. Imagine this. If someone that I love or that I respect saw how I behave at work or school, would they be able to recognize me? If not, why? How could I live my faith in Jesus in the work or school that I am a part of? How could I live that out? And this, this last question is really sharp, and I don't mean it to sound like you're like selling your soul to the devil or anything like that, but I think it's worth asking because Jesus posed the question. Is there anything 
that I'm allowing myself to do at work or school that feels like it's causing me to lose my soul? In other words, is there anything that is causing me to become a different person? Someone that I don't want to be and I know that God doesn't want me to be. These are really hard questions. I think especially that first one. If your grandma shows up to your work, if your kids overhear that phone call you have with a customer, if a friend that you know sees that thing, I mean, that's, that, honestly, that's the type of thinking. I don't ever want to be a hypocrite, so I'm, I'm asking myself those questions to try and live a life above reproach and to try and make sure that if my kids ever stumbled into a room, there may be things they don't understand at their age, but that they might still see over the course of time that Dad is a consistent person trying to live an undivided life across all the areas of his life. I think these questions, although they're hard, and I'm not posing them to make us feel bad, but they may actually help us to become truly free and live an undivided life that doesn't require us to put on a costume. And that's the invitation, I think. It's to be free. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thanks for um, all of what you say to us in your uh, word, all, all of what you spoke, um, but perhaps even more inspiring to me is to just see how you lived and to see the character of God on display as you were the perfect representation of God incarnate. Thank you for coming to this world and showing us humility and showing us kindness and showing us patience and compassion. Thank you for coming to bring a new way so that people like Lydia, people like that shoemaker from the 1500s, and people like my friends listening to this can discover a different way, a new way, the way of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.